Um, so it's come to my attention that uh, the Bible is awesome. It's, it's, really, it's really amazing. I'm an old man now, and I'm telling you, every time I open it, I learn something new, and I see something that's like, did they add that? Or, you know, I, I hadn't seen that or I hadn't understood that before. It's like the more I dig, the deeper it gets. And the more I understand how amazing it is, the more amazinger it gets. And it's just, it's, you know, it's God communicating with us. That's a really, really, really big deal. But I have to admit, as much as I love the Bible, that it can be confusing. And it can be um, off-putting. And it can make me feel weird and, and, and disoriented. And some parts of it seem like super violent. And some parts of it seem misogynistic. And some of it seems to like go like contrary to science. And some of it just seems really narrow. You know, the Bible says there's only one way to get to God. And so it, it can be confusing and it can be um, c concerning and to read the Bible. Um, Dan Kimball wrote a great book that we're using as kind of a guide for this series. We named our series after his book. It's called How Not to read the Bible, and it's super helpful. I really encourage you to get this book. Um, you can get it anywhere you buy books. It's on Kindle, um, and a lot of what I'm teaching in this series is really straight out of this book, um, and what I was interested in this is some of, maybe you're like me. I grew up with an old idea, and that is when I would read the Bible, and I would come across a passage that kind of freaked me out about slavery or about women keeping their mouth shut, right, or about killing a whole town of people, when I would read those things, I would just say to my, man, oh, that sounds weird. Oh, well, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> it's in the Bible. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's fine. And that, that was okay for me, but, man, he makes a great point in this book that that just doesn't work anymore. That idea is just, in this world, there's so much information out there, and there is so much opposition out there to the Bible and a lot of us had our faith challenged when we went off to the military or when we grew up or when we went to college and we took a class in philosophy or we took a class in world religions and all these new ideas are coming in. They're challenging our belief system. And that was a challenge to me at 19 years old or whatever, but I also had 19 years of reading the Bible and believing and being around believers and seeing the good that comes of Christianity that helped me to hang on to it. But man, kids today are hearing those same arguments when they're little kids. I mean, it's just everywhere. There is so much information out there. There are so many challenges out there. This group they call the New Atheists, they're just very active. And for people that don't believe that there's a God, they sure seem worried about him. You know, they don't believe in the tooth fairy, but I don't see them having these campaigns about the tooth fairy. But boy, they don't believe in God, and they just are, it's just, they're going to try to disprove God. And, in this book, Dan talks a lot about the challenges that are out there and how much more it's in your face now and how much more it's coming to us when we're young right now. And he talks a lot about social media because that's where you know, everybody gets to say what they think. And he talks about these memes that are in there that are kind of mocking the Bible or kind of mocking Christianity. So I just want to show you a couple of these with this idea in mind. We're looking at these to say, this is what people are being faced with. And I believe in the Bible, I believe in Jesus, but this meme says something to me or it asks a question of me or it makes fun of my beliefs and it kind of makes me uncomfortable. And so let's take a look at just a couple of these memes. This is unicorns are mentioned nine times in the Bible. Cats are mentioned zero times. And that's all you need to know about the Bible. 
I mean, I gotta say, I mean, I, I'm reading in the Psalms and in Isaiah and it's talking about unicorns, that could make me question the Bible. That could make me question God. Here's another one, hush women. And there's a verse right out of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament that says, let your women keep silent in the churches. It's not permitted for them to speak. If they're gonna learn anything, let them ask their husbands when they get home. It's in there, man, I'm not, I'm not don't look at me like that. It's a, that. That's right out of the Bible, here's another one. This is two unicorns on the ark. One says, hi, I'm Dave. Hi, Dave, I'm Robert. Oh, crap. <laughs> get it? <laughs> Because there's only two of them, Jane. So. <laughs> I like that one. Look at this one. This is God, obviously. Could have banned slavery or shellfish. He chose shellfish. I mean, when we read a Bible that tells us that it's a sin to eat shrimp, and yet it talks about slavery in a positive way, it really makes you question the Bible, and it makes you, I think, question God, and I think the answer for us as Christians and as people of the book is not just blindly accepting what we've always thought the Bible says. It's not just blindly saying, well, the Bible says God is love, but apparently he loves slavery, and he hates women, and oh well, you know, praise him anyway. And it's not, you know, well, the Bible says that the earth is only 6,000 years old, and yet I'm looking at a dinosaur bone that's 10 million years old. Oh, well, I guess we'll understand someday in the sweet by and by. That's not the answer. And the answer is also not just throwing the Bible in the trash and just saying, well, since I don't understand it, it must not be God's word. Maybe we're reading it wrong. And maybe some of our understandings have just not been what they should be. It doesn't make the Bible wrong that I've read the Bible wrong. The answer is not throwing the Bible in the trash. The answer is really digging in and really trying to really understand what the Bible is really trying to say. And that's what this series and that's what this book is all about. And in this book, he gives us some great tools, some great ways to look at and try to understand, especially these really kind of challenging passages in the Bible. And one of my favorite tools is, he doesn't call it this, we're calling it our rules of engagement. And the rules of engagement are for you, anytime you read, anytime you read anything in the Bible, but particularly if you read a passage that's weird or awkward or scary or confusing or doesn't make sense, you just remember these rules. The first rule is the Bible is a library. It's not a book. It was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. The third rule is never read a Bible verse by itself. You have to try to get the context of where it fits into the story. And then the last rule is that story is all about Jesus. So last week, we applied those rules to some really weird uh, biblical laws, some really weird biblical rules about um, shrimp and tattoos and Christmas trees and cooking a baby goat in its mother's milk. So last week, if you missed, it was really a lot of fun, but this week uh, is gonna be a much heavier topic because this week we're gonna talk about slavery. Um, critics of the Bible love to talk about all the verses in the Bible uh, that are written to slave owners and to slaves. And I think they ask a legitimate question. How could a God who really loves people and really loves freedom also love slavery? And like I said, he banned lobster, but not slavery. And I have to say, for me, it's hard for me to read through the Bible that I love about the God that I love and see him giving instructions to slaves about how they should work hard and not talk back 
to their masters. It's hard for me to read passages to slave owners, and it's talking to them like what they're doing is okay. Slavery is one of the ugliest things in humanity, right? I mean, what's worse than that? Um, and I, I, hate, I hate admitting this. I'll tell you, you know when slavery like, became like real to me? It was when I was a teenager watching a miniseries on TV. Some of you remember it called Roots. Do you remember Roots? How many of you remember Roots? I, it was like, like TV had just come out at that time, right? It was like a new technology was out there. It was very exciting. And this thing, man, it was, it was horrible. And it's not like the first I ever heard of slavery. I mean, I'd read about slavery. I'd heard about slavery before. But that show, man, seeing those people, just regular people, you know, just living their lives, just doing their thing, raising their families and, and doing their jobs. And then they're just suddenly these people come out of nowhere to hunt them down and drag them off and chain them up and treat them like worse than animals, worse than animals and just beat them and kill them and rape them and nobody's standing up for them. It was very, it was very upsetting to me. And I knew, like I said, I knew about slavery. I knew there had been slavery in the United States. I read in the Bible about the Jews in Egypt and slavery for 400 years. So slavery's been going on for always, but that show, it just really upset me. And I think it was supposed to. And kind of interesting timing, this is also about the same age, the same time of my life when I started asking some really hard questions about the Bible, and it brought up a really tough question. How could a good God condone slavery and like why did he make it in the first place and when you look at a verse that begin like here's exodus 21 2 here's how it starts when you buy a slave like when you get a haircut right like it's just this is normal it's just commonplace you know when you eat your breakfast right when you buy a, how kind of any verse that starts like that it, 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 it should make, it, it does, it makes us uncomfortable. Um, Exodus 21, seven says, if a man sells his daughter, like, what the heck is that? If a man sells his daughter, and it just talks like it, like it's just regular, matter of fact, this is just life, you know? If you, you know, if you buy a slave, if you sell your daughter, this is how you do it. Um, even in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, five starts out with the words, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And these verses, I'm telling you, challenged me. And they challenged my faith in the Bible. And they challenged my faith in God. Because they didn't make sense. Like, I couldn't reconcile it, you know? Because slavery is just so awful. And so dehumanizing. And God's the one that created humans in his image. And the whole, you know, the whole Eden story and the whole Bible is about God's high hopes and desires for us becoming the humanity that he designed us to be so that we could rule over his creation with him and have this real loving relationship with him. So cruelty and violence against humanity, dehumanizing acts like kidnapping and slavery and rape and murder, these, these are sins against the humanity that God created to be his masterpiece, that God created to be like the centerpiece of his creation. That he created humanity to be his partners to, to rule the world with. So God condoning slavery, it just doesn't, it, I can't reconcile those two things. It doesn't, it, just, it doesn't make sense. And so I come to that, and it's, it's challenging to me, right? It's confusing to me. It's off-putting to me. So, you know, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Um, what we won't do is just settle for a shallow understanding. 
you know, and just say, well, you know, I just guess God likes slavery. Praise him anyway. I don't think that's the right response to us. And it's not just to give up on the Bible because this part is hard for me to understand. The solution is for us to dig in and really try to really understand what it's really trying to say to us. So today, we're not gonna solve this, okay? I'll just tell you now. It's like when you go to the doctor and they say, you're not gonna feel better when you leave today. <laughs> but we're beginning the process, right? And we're gonna, we're gonna dig into this. We're gonna look at four ideas about slavery in the Bible. So the first idea is that we have to remember, um, anytime we see something in the Bible that makes us say, what the heck, which is basically every scripture in the Bible about slavery, we bust out the trusty rules of engagement. So rule of engagement number three is we never read a Bible verse by itself, right? We don't just take a little tiny verse out and that's our theology or that's who God is or something like that. We get everything in the Bible fits into this one. I keep doing this, this one big story that starts here, it goes all through the Bible and it ends in Revelation. We gotta figure out where, where does slavery fit into that arc, right? Where does slavery fit into this overall story? So in the beginning of this story, in the beginning of the story, God creates this perfect world and he, he wants man to rule it with him and he gives man this choice and the choice is mankind can trust God completely and, and love him back and put his faith in what God calls good and evil, or B, man can reject God and reject his ways and try to choose for himself what's good and evil. So what did man choose, A or B? <laughs> okay, start over. Genesis 1, <laughs> what did man choose, A or B? He chose B. He chose to choose for himself what was good. He chose not to trust what God was said was right. He chose to engage and accept sin into his life. And once sin entered, it messed up everything. So that choice that God, that, that mankind made led to death and corruption and slavery and violence and pride. And those things did not exist in God's perfect world prior to the fall. They did not exist in God's perfect world prior to mankind making that choice. And so, Sin came in and it brought with it death and corruption and slavery and violence and rape and murder and hate and all of those things. And basically, this book is about God's plan to redeem the world that was contaminated by all that stuff and to redeem mankind and to bring his perfect creation kind of back to where it started in Eden. So these slavery verses don't represent God um, creating slavery or endorsing slavery or condoning slavery. What they represent is God bringing some regulations into a world that man had already contaminated with slavery and with death and with violence. And these verses show God like limiting the damage that could be done by slavery and this ugly thing that mankind had created. And believe it or not, when you read these rules in the Bibles about how to treat slaves, they were unprecedented in their time and how kind they were to slaves. When God is saying, treat your slaves nice, that was like the whole world was going, what are you, what, that, what? Treat slaves nice, that doesn't make sense. Here's a, Exodus 21, 20. It says if a, slave kill, if a slave owner kills a slave, they have to be punished. They have to be held accountable for that. It's a crime, it's a sin. And that was like a new concept to the world at that time because they were, it's just property. You do with it what you want, it belongs to you. And so when God comes in and says, no, 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 if you kill a slave, 
You have to be counted, held accountable. That was, that was radical. That was, that was probably scandalous. That was really a, a, a unique new idea. Um, Exodus 21, 26 says, if a slave gets hurt by his master, if he loses a tooth or if he loses an eye, then the slave has to be set free. And so these laws, they make it sound like slaves are to be treated like human beings, right? And that sounds self-evident to us. But we have to remember, rule of engagement number two, right? This wasn't written to us. This was written to people thousands of years ago when slaves were treated like animals, when slaves were treated like property. And these, these rules, these laws about being you know, fair to slaves, they may not seem like justice to us. They may not seem like equality to us, and they're not. But they were unheard of in the world at that time. In fact, look at this verse. This is uh, Leviticus 25, 39. It goes even like further than that. It says, if one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Treat him instead as a hired worker or a temporary resident who lives with you. And he will only serve you until the year of Jubilee. So the year of Jubilee is a really big deal. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 talks about it. Um, it says, uh, this is Deuteronomy 15, 12. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to yours, or herself to, your, to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year, you gotta set them free. So what would happen is somebody being this incredible debt, they couldn't overcome it, their family's starving to death, so they just go to somebody and say, look, I'll be your slave for until I pay off the debt. And so that way my family can eat and I won't starve and we'll all survive. But no matter whether the debt was paid off or not, after seven years, they were to be set free. And that, again, was just a radical idea then. Seems self-evident to us but it was radical to them. So first idea in this is that in this, in this part of the big story, God isn't creating slavery. Sin and man and pride did that. God is not approving of slavery. He's putting some limits on the damage that it causes. Okay, second idea. If you notice these verses, they talk a lot about somebody selling themselves into slavery. And so this is the second thing. Remember, the Bible is written for us. We can learn from it. It has value in our lives. It has meaning and, and, and context in our world. It was written for us, but it's not written to us. It was written to a world where slavery was a way of life. It was written to a world where slavery was super, super common, and not just in the Old Testament. Um, I've read estimates that in Rome, when Jesus was born, in Rome, maybe 40% of the population were slaves. So it was, it was, it's like hard for us to imagine that world, but we have, it's not written to us. It's not written in our world. It was written to their world. And remember we talked about how there are these difficulties with understanding what was going on in their culture and even difficulties like unicorn with the, the translations of the words. Um, it's, it's hard. The term slavery in the Bible may not always mean exactly what we picture. When I say slavery, that picture of a scene from Roots pops into your head, right? And maybe that's not exactly what it always meant. And so part of our problem is that our cultural understanding and our even translation of this word slavery, we kind of tend to superimpose our cultural understandings onto that word when we see it in the Bible. And so their idea of the word slave was at least a little bit different than our perception of the word slave. When I think of slavery, I think of slavery in the United States. It's like, just like roots, right? Where innocent people were kidnapped against their will and forced into unpaid labor and whipped and beaten and killed and treated like animals and treated like property, not like human beings created in God's image. That's, that's what comes into my head when I think of the word slavery. But to a Jew 3,000 years ago in Canaan, 
or 2,000 years ago in Rome, this, this word for slavery meant a couple of different things. Both, both. It meant both things to them. And so um, let's, let's look at these two different types of slavery that when the Bible says the word slave, we kind of have to take into context what it's talking about. We're going to call them type A slavery and type B slavery. So Matt, can you put the beginning of my chart up there? So type A slavery is selling yourself as a servant. And again, this is really hard for us to imagine, but in their world, like what we, I think when we say poverty, sometimes what we're thinking is, I have to buy jeans that are not name brand, right? Like I don't have navigation in my car, right? That's, I can't eat out every meal. It's like that's what we perceive as poverty. But we've got to remember, we're talking about a world where poverty meant you don't eat. Poverty meant your children don't eat. Poverty meant you watch your children starve to death. Okay, so it's a little bit of a different world here. So in that world, if somebody couldn't feed themselves, maybe they got this huge debt and everything that they make is just going to pay this debt. They can't even buy food. They can't even provide a house for their, for their family or something. They could sell themselves into slavery. In fact, some of your Bibles, in a lot of these passages, don't even use the term slave. They've translated that word into the term servant or they tra translated it into the term bond servant, and that's what it means. They didn't get a paycheck, but they had their basic needs covered. So they would have food, they would have shelter, they would have clothes, and it's really hard for us to like picture that world. But that type of slavery was actually offering just a glimmer of hope to people that were living in really abject poverty. And it was really sad. I mean, obviously, it's hard to even think of somebody being in such a bad position in life that they would resort to that. It's hard to imagine a father selling his daughter into that. But if the alternative is starving to death or the alternative is becoming a prostitute, it's really awful. It's really horrible. It's super, super sad. But it's not pure evil. It's, it's, like, a really, it's like a really bad solution to a really real problem of real poverty and real hunger. And so with type A slavery, the Bible gives us some instructions. Like, so this is how you're gonna do it. If that's what we're doing, I'm coming into this world where slavery exists, I'm speaking a message of redemption into a world where slavery exists. If, if we're gonna have slavery in this world, here's how we're gonna do it. And he gives instructions, like the thing in Leviticus. This says, don't treat them like slaves, treat them like a hired worker that lives with you. And after seven years, let them go whether the debt's paid for or not. In the New Testament, same deal. It's like in this situation, if this is what's going on, slaves, yeah, I mean, you, you sold yourself into slavery, work hard, do what your master says, and you masters, be fair and be just with your slaves. That's type A slavery, selling yourself into slavery. And then type B slavery is this literally being like roots, right? This is being kidnapped and forced into slavery. And this is more like what we see the Israelites going through in Egypt for 400 years where they were cruel to them and they whipped them and beat them and were horrible to them. Or what we see with Africans in America um, for 200 years. It's this type B slavery is, is dehumanizing, right? It's treating human beings created in God's image like they're something less than that. And it's, it's taking people away from their families. Um, type A slavery is very sad, but it's not pure evil. Type B slavery is pure evil. And the Bible doesn't so much give instructions on this one. Type A, it gives some instructions about how to do it, but type B, it mostly just condemns it outright. 
So look what the Old Testament law says should happen to slave traders. This is Exodus 21, 16. This is type B, right? Kidnappers, is calling them, must be put to death, whether they're caught in possession of their victims or they've already sold them as slaves. Look what the New Testament says. Look what they, it calls slave traders lawless and godless and ungodly and sinful. This is 1 Timothy 1.9. It says, for the law wasn't intended for people to do what's right. It's for people that are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodful and sin, uh, ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. This law is for people that are sexually immoral or practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching. Look, look at the sins that it's group, grouping slave trading with. People that defile what is holy. Right? People that kill their mother and father, right? that's who it's grouping that type of slave traders with. And it's a, he says that's, they, they do deserve what the law calls for, which is the death penalty. So this is a perfect example of how we got to remember. The Bible's written for us. It's written for us. These big lessons that we suck out of it do apply to us, and they do matter in our world. So like, what are the big lessons here? People who are struggling with poverty and hunger, um, they still deserve justice and fairness, and respect, and a way out. And they certainly deserve that from God's people. And then another big lesson, type B slavery, like what we saw in Egypt, or what we saw in America, is just pure evil. So this, this is written for us, but it's not written to us. It's written to a people in a culture, in a world where slavery was just a fact of life. Okay, third idea. Uh, rule of engagement number one is we have to remember it's not just a book. The Bible is a library of books, a whole bunch of different books written by a whole bunch of different people in three different languages over multiple cultures over 1,500 years. We gotta remember it, it all works together in one big story. Uh, and rule of engagement number three is we gotta look at the whole story, right? We can't just grab a little piece. We can't cherry pick. Right? We've got we to read the whole story and see where it fits in. So we've got to read this stuff in the context, not just of what was happening at the time, but also in the context of what was going on, where that fits into the big story, the whole library of books. So if we pull back from these individual verses, right? Don't get, don't get so tight down to that, but really pull back and let's look at the whole arc. Let's look at the whole kind of story. If we pull back, what we'll see in the storyline is a gradual change from the Old Testament to the New. And what we'll see is in the New Testament, God is actually moving people, as we started over here, right? Perfection, sin and corruption and slavery and murder and all that horrible stuff. And then the rest of this arc, all the way to Revelation, we're seeing God slowly moving people away from slavery. In fact, if you read the way it talks about slavery in the New Testament and the Old Testament, you'll see radical differences. In fact, if you read the book of Philemon, how many of you read the book of Philemon in the New Testament? It's like, what, is, that, is that a book? It's, yeah, it's, it's an actual book in the New Testament. And you know what it is? It's a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to his friend Philemon, and Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus apparently like stole some money or something and then ran away from his master. Okay, so now Philemon's mad. The law's looking for Onesimus. Onesimus ran away with money or something. And so Onesimus then becomes a Christian. And then he runs into Paul. And he tells him his story. And Paul writes a letter to his friend Philemon, 
who happens to be the owner of this escaped slave, and he's asking him in this letter to accept Onesimus back and not to have him thrown in jail or not to have him killed. But he's not just asking him to take Onesimus back, and he's not just asking him to not prosecute him or whatever. He's asking Philemon, the slave owner, to see Onesimus, the slave, differently in Christ. He's in Christ now. You should see him differently. This is Philemon 1.6. He says, Onesimus is no longer a slave to you. He's more than a slave. He's a beloved brother, especially to me. And now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. You, you see the change? In, over here we're saying, if you kill them, you should get in trouble, right? If you kill them, you should get in trouble. You should at least have to answer for that. If you knock their tooth out or poke their eye out, you should let them go, right? There should be some ramifications if you do something horrible to them. And now over in the ark, right, in the New Testament, towards the end, we're seeing this gradual change where now he's saying to Philemon, you should see him not as a slave, you should actually see him as a brother, not even a hired worker. You should see him as a brother. And that was, I'm telling you, a radical, crazy, unheard of, scandalous thing in the world at that time. That was unheard of in the world. To see a slave as a brother was unheard of. But in the New Testament church, in the body of Christ, this was like the direction that it was going. In fact, look at Galatians uh, 3, uh, 3.26. It says, For you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Here it comes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. So in the big story, in the big story, we're slowly returning to God's original plan for his good creation, for the kingdom the way God planned things in Eden. And there everyone was of equal value and equal dignity regardless of race, regardless of social status because our value in the kingdom is not whether we're slaves or free. Our value is that we're created in God's image. Our value is that we are in Christ. So God is slowly moving people away from the garbage of the fall. Right? violence and hate and murder and slavery and back towards his original plan. And he's changing the way that people who were previously blinded by um, pride and hate and sin, he's changing the way that those people see each other in his kingdom. And that change would penetrate the body of Christ and would eventually bleed out into the world. And it starts here. And this change of the way people are seen in slavery is, starts with God's people. As God's people start to see each other as he sees them, not as slaves or free, but as his image bearers. You guys doing okay? Go like this every once in a while so I'll know, okay? Okay, kind of a sidebar. Um, all this stuff in this, about slavery in the Bible, it's not written to us, right? but it is written for us. Slavery does have a context. It does have meaning in our world now because sex slavery and forced labor are still going on all over the world. Not prevalent as it was then, not socially acceptable as it was then, but those things are going on all over the world and kidnapping and human trafficking are huge problems in the United States and in Texas and in Comal County. And that's why CBCB partners with ministries like Ransom Life if you don't know anything about Ransom Life, you should find out. They provide healing and resources for kids that have been trafficked or kids that are at risk. 
Um, also a ministry called For Her, which empowers women to leave the sex trade in San Antonio. And many of them were just like roots, man, literally kidnapped and forced into a life of slavery. So check out those ministries when you get a chance and you might be surprised to find out. This stuff wasn't written to us, but it's for us. Slavery still exists in our world today. Um, last idea, number four. Um, remember rule of engagement number four, and that is that this story is all about Jesus. Um, the Bible is literally addressing literal slavery. It's literally talking about people that are being forced to do things they don't want to do, people being dehumanized, and it's real, and it's literal, and it's horrible. And God has been slowly moving the world away from slavery so that his favorite creation, humanity, can live lives of redemption and freedom in this physical, literal world, in this life. Slavery is real in this world and in this life, but it's also a great metaphor. It's also an amazing illustration. It's a perfect image of the spiritual slavery that human beings fall into. And there's a couple of kinds of slavery that human beings fall into. Um, the slavery of sin. In John 8, 34, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, anybody that sins is a slave of sin. And it's, he, he loves to, Paul loves this. Jesus and Paul both love to separate being a son versus being a slave. Right? If you're a slave, you perform or you get kicked out. You perform or you're punished. You perform or you're killed. Whereas a son, of course he wants to please his father and of course he's gonna do his best, but he's loved for who he is. He's loved because he's part of the family, not just for his performance. So they're constantly drawing this distinction between a slave and a son. So verse 35, Jesus says, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So sin enslaves us. Think of, think of like roots, right? It, it captures us and it, and it takes us away from our connection to our true family. And it dehumanizes us because it takes us away from being the humans that we were created to be. And Jesus came to change all that and to give us a new life and to make us a new creation and to make us a new humanity that can and does enjoy the love of our Father, not the fear of our Master. John 8, 36, Jesus says, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Truly, it's not held against you anymore. You are truly free from the slavery of sin. So one type of slavery that we experience spiritually is slavery to sin, but then there's also slavery to the law. And so this is Galatians 5.1. So Christ has truly set us free, so make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And what he's talking about there is the law, religion. He's talking about religion. He's talking about this constant pressure to be perfect on our own and this constant guilt and shame and fear when we fail. That's, that's slavery. This idea that I have to do so many good things and so few bad things, otherwise God's gonna get mad at me and kill me or send me to hell or something. That's slavery because what, it's dehumanizing and it's taking us away from the relationship that God wants with us. He wants a relationship with us where we're his children it's taking us away from that relationship and making us into slaves. We're so afraid of failing. We're so afraid of punishment that our lives are hell on earth. But that verse says that Christ has made us truly free. Maybe your Bible says free indeed, right? Like completely free of all the pressure and all the shame and all the fear that comes with the slavery 
to the law. But we have to choose, he says, not to go back to that slavery. So if you've spent your whole life thinking, oh, I've got to do so many good things and so few bad things, otherwise God's going to hate me. But no, I got saved now and I've been baptized and all that, so now I'm a Christian. Just don't go back to that, to that slavery. And Jesus offers slavery, a freedom from both, right? From slavery to sin and from slavery to religion or to the law. And I was just thinking about that this morning. Um, so stop the clock. This doesn't count against my time. It's not on my notes, okay? Um, this really reminds me of slavery in America. So in 1863, I think, the Emancipation Proclamation, and okay, now slavery is illegal. There's no such thing as slavery. Slaves are free, right? A couple of years later, uh, 13th. 13th Amendment, help me history people, 13th Amendment made slavery illegal. And so a couple of things happened that were really strange right after those laws. And number one was it took a while for the word to get out, right? And so there was a season of time where there were a whole bunch of slaves that were free, but they didn't know it. They weren't, they weren't legally slaves anymore, but they didn't know it. So they continued to live in slavery. Do you think their masters were helping that word get passed around or not so much? Yeah, not so much, right? Okay, and then another thing that really I think is interesting is that freedom to a lot of them, okay, you're free now, you're not a slave anymore. Yeah, but freedom was so foreign to them, right? It, that's all they had known. Some of them were born into it, right? That, that, that's all they had ever known. And some of them were so afraid of what it might look like to get outside of what they knew that they chose to stay in bondage because they were afraid of what it was like off the plantation, right? They were afraid of what it was like outside their little realm and their little world that they understood. Again, do you think their masters were trying to help that thought process or correct that thought process? They wanted them to stay afraid. They wanted them to live in fear. They wanted to tell them constantly, you're not good enough to be free. You're not smart enough to be free. You don't deserve to be free. Just stay back here in bondage with me. Do you see the parallel there to spiritual slavery? where our enemy says to us, I know you got baptized and I know you said those words and you said that prayer, but you're not good enough to be free. You don't deserve to be free. You'll never make it in that world. Just stay here where it's comfortable with me in sin and in slavery. No charge for that. In Romans 7, Paul talks about his slavery. This is Paul. If you, ever, if you ever make a mistake and you feel bad and you feel guilty, oh man, I guess I must not be a Christian because I made that mistake. This is one of the best passages is like at the very end of chapter seven in Romans and Paul is just ranting about what a loser he is. He goes, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. He uses those words. I don't know what's wrong with me. I try to do what's right, but I never do. I try to stop doing what's wrong and I just do it more. Everything I try to do that's right, I fail at. Everything I try to stop doing that's wrong, I just keep doing more of it. He says, I see the law, I see the rules, and I love the law, and I want to obey the law, but now so much so that I've become a slave to the law too. So Paul said, I got it both ways, man. I'm a slave to sin, and I'm a slave to the law. One of the best verses in the Bible, Romans 7, 24, he says, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life? that is dominated by sin and death. Who will free me from this slavery to sin and this slavery to religion? And in verse 25, he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want to encourage you in two things today. Number one, if you're still a slave to sin, 
And if you've not given that up, if you've not laid your sin and your failure down at the cross and said, I'm tired of being ashamed, I'm tired of carrying it around, I'm tired of trying so hard, I'm tired of wondering, I'm tired of wondering if God's mad at me or if I'm gonna burn in hell forever, I'm just, I don't want that anymore. I wanna lay that down. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers freedom from that. And if you wanna talk about that, man, I wanna talk to you today. So track me down in the lobby afterwards or go back to our prayer corner or find joy or anybody that you've seen on the stage today and say, man, I need to be free from my sin. Talk me through this thing, man. How does this work? And let's get that resolved. And then the second group, the second thing is like, this might be more of us that we're in slavery to religion. We're just like we're stuck in it. And I feel like just like those slaves in the United States, that's like we're free but we don't act like we're free. I don't know if we're scared. I don't know if we've been told that we can't, but for whatever reason, we just don't have freedom. We're constantly trying to earn it. We're trying, constantly trying to deserve it. We're constantly, every mistake we make, we feel this shame and this fear, oh, God's mad at me now, what am I gonna do? And so I'm gonna start all over. Here's the cycle beginning all over. I'm just gonna try harder, then I'm gonna fail, then I'm gonna have shame, then I'm gonna have to have fear. So then I'm gonna try harder, then I'm gonna fail, then it's gonna be shame, and then it's gonna be fear. And you know who loves that cycle? Satan. He's just like the master on the slave, right? He would love to keep that going. He would love to keep you. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus wants to offer you freedom from that. He said it was for freedom that he set us free. He didn't set us free to, to go back to slavery. It was for freedom that he set us free. Separate, we just read the verse. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. You're, 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 you're free for real, right? You're completely free. That does not include, you know, one little handcuff or one little chain around your ankle or one little thing that you're afraid about with God. It's real freedom. And Jesus wants to offer that to you. And all you have to do is ask for it. And then like he said in Galatians, don't go back. Don't go back to that slavery to the law. So as we're praying today, I'm just gonna ask you to kind of think about, man, if that's a slavery that you've struggled with, and I think for a lot of us at some level, on some degree, we, we've struggled with this thing, oh, I'm gonna earn it, you know, I'm gonna be a little better so God will like me a little bit more, or I'm gonna stop doing that one thing and then I won't have to burn forever, and instead just, man, I'm just gonna give that to him. I'm, it's time to chop off that last chain, you know, it's time to let go of that one bit of slavery that's holding us back. So I'm gonna pray for me, um, for the struggles that I have with that, and I'm gonna pray for anybody here who that's a struggle for. So if that's you, you'll know it. Just pray with me. Um, let's pray. Um, Jesus, man, first of all, I, I confess uh, kind of a mistake that I've made, um, and maybe some others have made it too, and that is that we have seen the law or, or religion or rules, we have seen those things as our savior, and they're not our savior. You are. And Jesus, sometimes we've made those things our Lord. We've made doing good stuff or stopping bad stuff like the determining factor of every, that's, that's what we're following. I'm following after this idea I have of what look, good looks like or what bad looks like. And I, I, Jesus, I confess that today as sin. You're my savior and you're my Lord. And so today, Lord, for me and for everybody here, I just, I just pray that you'll just remind us of what Paul said to the church at Galatia. You've been set free from that stuff. 
Don't go back to it. Don't go back to your sin, but also don't go back to this slavery of being afraid of God if you make a mistake. Help us to live in the freedom that you came to give us. Help us to be truly free, free, free for real, free indeed, because we know that you have made us free. God, help us trying, stop trying to earn your grace and let us instead live in it and have fun in it and enjoy it because that's to your glory and that's what we want to do. God, I thank you for your word and I just pray as we're going through this thing, we're talking about weird stuff and I know this is a little academic or something for some of us, but God, just remind us of the value of knowing you. This is your word. This is you communicating with us and it deserves way more than a shallow understanding. It deserves us really digging in and really trying to understand what you're really trying to say and we need your Holy Spirit to help us do that. So please just keep unpacking this stuff and keep showing us what your word is really saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thanks so much for coming to church today. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I would love so much to know that you were here. If you'll stop at our visitor's kiosk and fill out a card, I'd just love to give you a call this week. Have a great week. Thank you.